0: Hey guys, what's up? Welcome back to Crisis of Crime, the weekly podcast where we talk about criminology and criminal justice reform. I'm your host, Rachel Means, and I'm a criminologist. So today I want to talk about the broken windows theory. This is a theory of crime published in 1982 by Wilson and Kelling, and broken windows aim to explain why certain areas of cities or towns spiral into decline and attract more crime, essentially have a higher crime rate. So the term broken windows is a metaphor. Imagine that you have a house and somebody comes along and they throw a rock at the window and the window breaks. If the owner of that house replaces the window, then that house goes back to looking safe and orderly. Now, if the owner of that house doesn't replace the window, then someone might come along and think that it's okay to break another window. And then if all of the windows are broken in the house, then someone might think it's okay to enter that house. And then someone might think it's okay to graffiti or to squat there or to steal things from inside of it. And so the house spirals into decline. And this is essentially what they're saying will happen in certain areas of a city. If you start to let it look run down, if you have a lot of abandoned buildings, if you're not doing a lot with your public spaces, then it's going to attract what they described as disreputable people. And then it would continue to spiral into decline, attracting more disreputable people until it would be classified as something along the lines of a slum. And according to Wilson and Culling, the things that you could do to stop this spiral from happening was you can make your public spaces look more safe and orderly. So you could tear down your abandoned buildings. You can do community gardening to make your public spaces look more orderly. And another thing they said to do was to increase number of police officers on the streets because they believed that having a higher or a stronger police presence would deter those disreputable people from moving in. Now, right off the bat, I have a few quarrels with this theory. For one, it doesn't really define what a disreputable person is. We can assume that they mean people with the intent to commit crimes, since it is in fact a theory of crime. But... I guess it depends on who's reading it, what someone would deem as a criminal, because in my mind, of course, a criminal is somebody who's committing a criminal act, but in somebody else's mind, it might be somebody that doesn't look like them. So, it all depends on how this theory is being enacted in policy, and that seems to be where the disconnect is happening, is when you take the crime theory and then you try to apply it whether it's in how the police are doing their job or how cities are enacting new policy and what that looks like. And so things don't always transfer well. And this is a classic example of one where it took a wrong turn. So why did Wilson and Kelling think that increasing a police presence would deter these disreputable people from moving into areas where they're spiraling into decline? Well, we'd have to look at the deterrence theory to understand that. Deterrence theory is another theory of criminology. It was published in 1968 by Stafford and Moore and it says that people are not going to commit crimes because they are deterred by the punishment. Um, it goes into more detail than that but that's pretty much the gist. There's two different kinds specific and general and it really depends on if you are receiving the punishment yourself and then you don't want to receive that punishment again, that's specific deterrence. But if you see somebody else receiving a punishment and you decide that you don't want that punishment either, then that's general deterrence. So for Wilson and Kelling wanting to increase the police presence, it's really a form of general deterrence because their hope is that if there's an increased police presence, you see a lot more police officers on the street, or maybe you see people getting arrested and you think, Okay, well, this isn't a good place to sell drugs because there's obviously a lot of police officers here and other people who were selling drugs here are getting arrested. So I don't want to sell my drugs here. So that would be a form of general deterrence. But maybe if you already live there and you got caught selling drugs, when you get released or whatever your punishment was, um, you no longer want to do it there. You move to a different location or you find a different avenue of making an income. Uh, that would be specific deterrence. So for Wilson and Kelling, their hope was to use this deterrence of increasing the police presence to help prevent crimes from happening in these areas by deterring disreputable people from moving there or by deterring the people who were there from doing disreputable things such as criminal activity. Now the biggest problem there is that police do not help prevent crimes police arrive after a crime has happened to investigate it or they catch a crime that's happening in the act. That could be something like stopping somebody who's speeding on the road or uh, doing one of their sting operations and posing as somebody trying to buy drugs. But for the most part, it's usually they show up after the crime has happened. So preventative efforts are not usually done by the police. You need prevention programs to prevent crime. I have done an episode on this. I've talked about it a lot. It's a bigger upfront cost than policing, but it pays out in the long run. And it's usually things like rehabilitation programs, uh, youth programming, efforts to end poverty and to end homelessness. These type of efforts are going to be what help reduce the crime rate versus policing. So with the broken window theory, their hope was to reduce the crime rate in certain areas. But what actually happened when you increase the police presence is that the crime rate actually goes up. And that was where the biggest disconnect happened. That's not what they were expecting. And to give you an example of why this happened, if we have two identical cities, both with 100,000 people, similar demographics, and similar amounts of crime happening. For city A, of 100,000 people, let's say I have 50 police officers. And for city B of 100,000 people, let's say that I increase the number of police officers that I have there to 500 police officers. And the same amount of crime is happening in both cities. So what's going to happen? Well, in city B, there's going to be more police officers available to make arrests. So city B is going to look like it has a much higher crime rate than city A. Now, if we change up the demographics a little bit, say that city A is mostly white or Caucasian inhabitants and city B is more minority inhabitants. Well, now people will start to say that there's a correlation between the demographics of that city and the crime rate, because Broken windows theory was very strategic. It wasn't put into place across the board. They got to pick and choose which communities they put these in. And it tended to be more marginalized communities, lower income ethnic communities. So now there's a correlation. These mostly minority communities have a higher crime rate, but it's actually because they're being overpoliced, and they actually have the same amount of crime happening as city A. But it doesn't stop people from now labeling these communities as violent communities. But let's just talk a little bit more about actual over-policing in certain areas. So the way that our justice system is ran and how things are money-based, you know, you have to pay your fines, you have to pay your bail, you have to pay the court costs, etc., etc. It's affecting people in lower-income communities more than the people who can afford it that are living in those upper-to-middle-class communities. Well now since people are getting arrested and they have these fines incurring, you have people who are already struggling, who are in poverty, are now being hit with these fines that they have to pay that are not available on a sliding scale. Therefore they're going to be the same no matter if you are living in a low income community versus if you're living in an upper middle class community somewhere. So when you over police a community, you're helping keep that community in poverty. Now, the last thing I wanna talk about today is stop and frisk because over-policing definitely helped begin the era of stop and frisk. So stop and frisk was a tactic used by police officers in New York City starting in 2003 all the way through 2013 when it was deemed unconstitutional. According to the Fourth Amendment, to stop someone and search them, you have to have reasonable suspicion that that person is about to commit a crime, is currently committing a crime, or has just committed a crime. So you aren't allowed to just stop someone randomly, but stop and frisk made it so you could do just that. Stop and frisk made it so that you could stop someone if you had reasonable suspicion that they might be armed and dangerous. So combine stop and frisk with the over-policing brought on by broken windows, and now you have a disproportionate amount of police officers in a community over-policing them, and using tactics that have been deemed unconstitutional. And these stop-and-frisk tactics were not being used the same way across the board with all demographics. Police officers were racially profiling people, stopping majority black or brown people, and very rarely stopping white people to stop and frisk them. Not only were they disproportionately stopping people of color, but they were disproportionately stopping them in majority white areas. So not only were police officers using stop and frisk to racially profile people, but they were also using it to keep the communities segregated by encouraging people to essentially stay in their neighborhoods with their demographics because they would essentially be getting punished coming into a different demographic neighborhood, specifically white neighborhoods. So I'm sure that Wilson and Kelling had the best of intentions when they wrote the broken windows theory back in 1982, but the way that this theory has been applied in policing and policy since then has been less than ideal. If you remember back to Bill Clinton's 1993 crime bill, even then he was talking about increasing the number of police officers on the street by 100,000 police officers. So even that was a tactic of broken windows, increasing that police presence to try to deter disreputable people from moving into certain areas. But as we all know, that bill has become very controversial because it did backfire. And since then, people like Bill and Hillary Clinton and even Joe Biden have gotten a lot of flack because of that crime bill. I talked a little bit earlier about what actually does help lower the crime rate in areas. And if you want to check out an episode where I go into a lot of detail about it, there's an episode that I did on murder. Uh, Murder, it's like history motives and reforms. And I go into a lot of detail of what programs you can put into place to help actually lower the crime rate by using preventative measures rather than policing. But that is all I have for you guys today. Thank you so much. For listening, if you want to learn more about me or listen to any of my other podcasts or check out my videos, please visit my website. It's at www.crisisofcrime.com. Like I said, all my podcasts are there, all my YouTube videos. You can find the recent interview that I did with Disrupting the Silence on there, which was a really cool episode when we were talking about racism and the criminal justice system. So I highly suggest that you go check them out and support them. You'll also be able to find all the links to my social media there, such as my TikTok and Twitter. And if you are enjoying this podcast and you would like to support it, I do have a support tab on my website where you can sign up to become a patron. As always, any kind of support is appreciated, even if it's just giving this a like or a share. I appreciate you all. I hope you all are staying safe and healthy, and I will see you next time.